Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome back to part two of the 12 lessons with 12 experts over the past year. I hope you enjoyed part one and today I'm going to give you six more segments from six different experts and we're going to start with one of my favorite guests and one of the most popular guests of the year based on the downloads too, Stuart Sanderman on episode 69. Stuart is a breathwork expert and I was blown away, no pun intended, by this episode. One of the highlights of this episode was Stuart's mantra, when in out, breathe it out. And I'll let him talk you through it. I also believe that there are lots of ways that we can start to unwind. I mean, you when you go to your doctor, you only get 15 minutes. They're overloaded. They're 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 back to back and, and they're working really hard to try and keep that wheel turning and, and see as many people as possible. So if it's it's funny when we talk about that person that just wants to take something or, or just wants them a quick fix or is maybe a little bit more skeptical. When I set a breath pod, my barometer for all of everything I was doing was my dad. Am I speaking in a language my dad would, would get? Now my dad is like one of our biggest advocates. Um, and it was this like the, the bar of like, is this too spiritual or is this too um, woo-woo or is this too scientific? In fact, it could be the other way. Am I talking gobbledygook science that's confusing or is it too esoteric and up in the clouds? Um, so that has all been my barometer. And often the thing, my little sales pitch to somebody, I'm like, you're breath- if you're breathing 20,000 times a day, it's what keeps you alive. And if you stop breathing, you're no longer here. And if you were doing any task 20,000 times a day, would you not want to know if you're doing it right? That's my little elevator pitch. Do any skeptics out there? I like that. <laughs> and usually people go, oh, yeah, it's worth a shot. And that's all I'm saying is worth a shot. And the science is now there to back it up, which is like, woo, there's loads out there and there's more coming out every single day. We talked before we went live just about the different um, parts of the, how, how our breath goes across different parts of the body. It's, it's very physical. It's very, it's, an exchange of gas, oxygen coming in, powering your cells, creating energy, carbon dioxide being removed. But those gases are chemical. Carbon dioxide is acidic. So we have this change in pH depending on how we breathe. The rhythms and rates of our breaths in- integrate the um, signal, the rhythm and rate of our heart, which signals our blood pressure. Which So you see all this knock-on effect, which then sends a signal to our brain about how our body is or how our mind is perceiving our environment. So it bridges from this very physical, mechanical, 
chemical into this more mental, emotional. Our breath is the first thing to trigger when we are in that state of fear or, or you wander onto the road and a bus is heading for you. <gasps> Gasp of air. It triggers your body to click into gear engages your muscles and your legs, blood flows to them, you jump back to safety. So our breath is there. Our breath is there to support us. You've been doing it all day, every day, and it's just moving to work with what's happening. And that's what's just so amazing I feel about breathing is it's there, like it's got your back the whole time. The challenge is then when we start working with the mind, the mind is a little bit distorted because we're not standing in the bus lane all day, but maybe our thoughts are whizzing around. We have those those stresses and strains and overwhelm and have I done this? Have I done that? I should have done this, should have done that. The negative thoughts, the loop of negative thinking. And what that does, same as an experience around us, our thought triggers our unconscious patterns, including our breath. And it's our breath that then will trigger our feelings again. So it's like if somebody's skeptical about this stuff, I, it, it almost makes me laugh now. Although I was that skeptic, I'm like, what? This doesn't make any sense. How can you not like look at this as a tool to make you feel a little bit better? We started off with that exercise for focus. But another one that I go on about and I badger on about and I hit home this phrase all day long because it saves my bacon multiple times a day. If in doubt, breathe it out. Okay. And I say that and I tell people to, I keep on telling people to tattoo it on their arm. No one's ever done it yet. Maybe, maybe there'll be a first and they'll send me a message saying, I've tattooed it on my arm. Um, hopefully one day, but if in doubt, breathe it out. So that's just, if we just break that down as a kind of like scientific approach, if in doubt, breathe it out. What does that mean? If you're feeling stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, well, doubling your exhale length to your inhale creates a parasympathetic response. This is your nervous system, your rest, digest, repair, heart rate slows down, blood pressure reduces, and you create a calm response in your body and mind. When in doubt, breathe it out. That's one that I never forget. And next up, I have Sam McGowan, who I spoke with on episode 62. Sam has been extremely open about her mental well-being. I was really looking forward to covering this with her on this episode. Sam regularly pushes the message, it's okay not to be okay. And I wanted to see what she does personally and what she advises others to do when it comes to their mental well-being. And here's what she had to say on that topic. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm no therapist, I'm no professional when it comes to mental health, but it's more about just like, hopefully, with more more and more of us talking about our own experiences these days, um, mm-hmm. it, it just, again, it's that relatable um, impact that it has on people. It's like the main issue with mental health is it can, it can, even when you know it's not, it can feel like it is just you and it can feel like there is, like, you can just feel very alone when you're you're not feeling your best self. and. I think, yeah, talking about it, again, the most important thing to remember, like you said, is just to know that it's, it is normal and, and, and the majority of us have mental, you know, we all have mental health. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. And I think, again, we are very lucky that we talk about it more and more these days and there are a lot more conversations going on about it. I am more than happy to admit that I have a therapist and I, I try and talk that tell people that as much as I can because it should be just something that's not a taboo subject. It shouldn't be something like, oh yeah, I have a therapist or, um, or you should feel ashamed about that. I know not everyone has access to that and I'm, I'm very lucky um, that I can. But even just talking to a friend or someone you feel that you can talk to, you should never ever feel ashamed for saying that you're not okay. You should never feel ashamed for even whatever it is that's bringing you down, whether you know what that is or not. 
I just think talking is, yeah, probably the best advice I can give. Again, like I'm no professional, but um, something I mentioned the other day, because it was, uh, you know, World Mental Health Awareness Day. So I kind of touched on this on my Instagram. But again, as I mentioned earlier, like I I started my first like experience of poor mental health was when I was around 16, uh, 17. And I was always so used to um, being like super uh, bubbly and super social and like always pretty, almost hyper um, to a certain extent because I did sport mm-hmm. and you know, I always had that energy and, and whatever. So when I started to then be the person who was maybe getting a bit emotional at work and I, I've always considered myself as quite a strong person, uh, quite independent. Um, again, I, I've grown up like I've kind of just done my own thing and I've had to be independent because of that. So to then feel like I was not as strong as I thought I was or not as out there as I thought I was, or like it felt like there was something wrong and I couldn't quite, that that in mm-hmm. itself was a horrible feeling. So it wasn't even, again, I couldn't, I didn't understand at the time, like, you know, pressures of life can make you feel poor like down or depressed you know not exercising as much as you're used to and the endorphins and the signs behind it you know I never understood any of that so again at the time I just had no idea what was going on and and the worst part of that is it was just scary it just wasn't I I just didn't understand I didn't know why I was the way I was and I think that's that's why it's important to talk because you can even just saying things out loud you can start to hear okay well maybe this is why I'm not feeling as as good as I normally do or and over time the more you the biggest lesson I've learned for myself <laughs> is that it never goes away like you never get rid of it and I think that's what some people who maybe are suffering with poor mental health is that they're trying to get rid of it it's like it doesn't go away it, you just learn how to manage it better over time and again I'm saying this like that my first experience of what I like or big experience of poor mental health was 16 17 and I'm 30 now and I still have days or, or, or phases of feeling very very low and sometimes it catches me off guard even now when I think I'm actually quite good at you know keeping on top of my mental health and uh, and doing things that I know will keep my will keep good mental health like I I'd like to think that I know where my what my triggers are and I'd like to think I know I can spot the signs of when I'm not feeling my best. Um, but even sometimes it, it still can catch you off guard and have you not feeling great. So I think it's so important to know that, you know, if you can talk to more people and if you can talk to even a professional or even reading up about it or just following like, even following accounts that like talk about mental health more. So I've got my friend's brand, um, the Feel Good Club, like they, they've created this huge brand where they talk about mental health all the time. Um, and there's quite a lot of those accounts these days. So maybe those who can't necessarily afford like going to a therapist, just hearing like little things like that and reading about stuff can, can really help sometimes. And uh, you'll also see that the number of people that follow this kind of account should show you that you're also not alone. So yeah, I um, that that's my bit on, on mental health anyway. Hopefully that helps. If you haven't listened to the episode I did with Paul Dermody, which was episode 83, I implore you to do it right away. I genuinely had a tough time picking out a section of this episode as it's packed full of takeaways and highlights that I could have gone through. So I decided to go with something that Paul is incredibly passionate about, and that's helping people break the diet cycle and begin to question their own thoughts and beliefs. He breaks this down phenomenally, and here's what he had to say on that specific topic. One of the quotes that I put on my very first blog, the fine line between mastery and obsession was talking about this idea that my first conscious 
delve into any kind of introspection was to ask myself, why was I always either on the diet or off the diet with no middle ground? So it really, to simplify and to cut a long story very short, it very much came down to me tattooing on my brain that if you refuse to get back on the diet, you cannot be off the diet. That to get on the diet by definition means you can fall off it. And it's more of a mindset. It's more of a call forward to stop seeing it as something that you are all on or all off and instead see it across a spectrum of something that you're adherent to. So you might be very adherent, not adherent, not a priority currently. Maybe it's a super priority, but it Yet to say I'd be anti-diet is is obviously, it's not true in the context I believe anti-diet is a specific movement of people that believe intentional weight loss is harmful. That's not true. That's a nonsense claim. Absolutely. That, that's, that's nonsense. What I think is better to say is when you try and hit a goal without understanding the underlying principle, the opposite of the desired result is more likely. And I wish that the anti-diet movement would almost update their philosophy to go along with that because they're making some crazy claims now about how all weight loss is impossible or harmful or it's nonsense. It's absolutely garbage. As someone who's been through every single spectrum that you can imagine and someone who, and like yourself, has every reason to turn somewhat bitter against dieting, it's not the dieting. That's not the problem. That's a problem with thermodynamics. The problem was me, my views to it, my absolutes, my need for control, all of that stuff. So yeah, absolutely not anti-diet, but it's more of a case of if you stop getting back on the diet, you won't fall off it. And if you understand the underlying principles as to how something works, you can choose how to manipulate them and when to manipulate them based on a goal you wish to achieve. And it sounds like some crazy drastic change in life, but realistically, it's a massive mindset shift but it's a tiny action shift in a way. It just basically promotes this idea of being a tiny bit more flexible within the parameters of the the constraints you set for yourself. That's how I see it. Yeah, I completely agree, actually. I've never considered how minimal the action changes was, right? If you actually look at... I think this is probably why people have a misconception of people like myself and yourself is that, you know, my actions on a day-to-day basis from Monday to Friday, I'm probably going to still eat very, very similarly. I'm probably just not going to weigh things to the gram. I'm probably just not going to you know, avoid eating out at all costs on a weekend. So it's just a very small shift in action. But generally, largely, 80% of it's very much the same. But the biggest shift happened within the mindset of not being controlled by it per se. So I think that's, that's a good point to make. So with someone who is far down that rabbit hole, because if, as humans, we tend to go for one extreme or the other. And this this is the whole point, right? And um, just go off a little tangent here. Chris Williamson talks about a concept called the return to the inner citadel, which is essentially when you have gone down a route, it didn't work for you, just like potentially we could have turned out as like, you know, we got this really bitter feeling from dieting and because it didn't quote unquote work for us, or we didn't have a positive experience with it, we go in the complete opposite direction and say, you don't want to do this anyway. None of this works because of either we didn't find a way to make it work or we just have this really bitter experience and we are hundred percent against it. So for people who may be there or maybe who are just deep down that rabbit hole right now, borderline obsessed, uh, however we wanted to find that, how do they start making their way out there into somewhere in the middle? It's a great question. And, you know, I can't to kind of go back to something you said about the return to the inner citadel. I can think of few things more arrogant than to assume that your lived experience is going to be everybody's experience with a certain concept. I think it's absolutely insane to say, here's a concept that physics has dictated, but I didn't like it. Therefore, it's bad. <laughs> so it's true. insane, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. 
you know what? I, I think if I if I'm in positions where I work with people like that, and, and I don't advertise this publicly because it's it's quite a delicate topic. Obviously, I don't advertise this publicly, but there are people that would jump on top of it. I think it's very important instead to to just engage in conversations with people. And again, I'll probably go back to this a lot throughout the podcast, certainly throughout my life. I think people need to have, we all need to have some kind of process by which we introspect and reflect on our beliefs. Where are we getting our beliefs from? Emotional reasoning to, to almost give it a name or to, you know, to put a title on it. That sounds a lot to me like a significant amount of traps happening simultaneously, emotional reasoning being one, maybe catastrophizing, maybe black and white thinking. So like this food is bad, therefore I'm going to gain a lot of weight and I can trust this feeling as an absolute universal truth and it's definitely correct. And that can kind of lead people down this spiral of probably having too much faith in how they feel in their own thoughts with regard to food and not necessarily contesting and challenging beliefs. Like one principle of science is it's a self-correcting form of finding more truth. It's, there's no absolute truth. There's just better evidence with every kind of finding, so to speak. So if, if you took your knowledge to the best nutritional scientists in the world, and I'm talking about me here now as well, like you, I could be picking any personal trainer, but if you told me, Paul, you're going to present to the world's best nutritional expert tomorrow, I'd be embarrassed. I'd be like, that's a, something I would have as a, a nervous endeavor on my shoulders because they will know so much more than me and they'll be aware of the like the constraints of their own ignorance. Whereas to be kind of ultimately to have certainly what I have found with my client base and myself, when you go down the rabbit hole of that really fearful eating, it's because you've too much weight on the false evidence you've been given. And perhaps you haven't learned to obviously navigate your own emotions, but perhaps too, you haven't learned to critique your own thoughts. How do you know what you think is true? Don't be so certain what you think is true. Even just have to relate it back to some of the stuff I've believed before, anything, everything from training, nutrition, all the way to some of my views on society, they've all changed. Just consulting with that alone is enough to say, well, never get too caught up on what you think. Never get too high in your own supply. It's obviously easy to say this on a podcast talking to you, but once you begin that journey of self-reflection and introspection and you use it as a frequent process, maybe journal prompts. I know that's quite a popular thing. It's not something Mm -hmm. I personally use myself. I think that is a great start because that false certainty I suspect is what holds a significant amount of the pain that we continue to reside in when we're stuck in these traps. The now, obviously, there, there it depends on the the level of them. You know, there are very real considerations. There are very real eating disorders and conditions like that that are far beyond what I could even address. And obviously, I don't shouldn't need to preface, but I'm not talking here. I'm talking people who went down a similar route to me, who maybe have gotten a bit caught up in a bit of nonsense, who maybe trusted that nonsense a bit too much, didn't have the Maybe you'd argue emotional maturity to sit and reflect. Maybe didn't have a value system. You know what? Now, if I started a new endeavor today, forget fitness. Now, if I started a new endeavor today at 31 years old, probably the first thing I'd ask is, is it going to eat into the things I love to do enough that it'll be worth it or not worth it? As opposed to blindly jumping into something new, blindly jumping into a new diet and then possibly going down the rabbit hole there because I haven't actually considered the effects it has. And, you know, I could spend all day talking about this, but I've rarely been in a position with a client where I've seen calories and macros as the definitive problem within the context of the reason of perception of lack of dietary freedom or dietary results. There's a lot more to it than that. But all of that kind of encapsulates a little bit of my philosophy. Obviously to say anti-diet is definitely not true. I I suspect from just even the way I'm looking at you now that you feel similar enough that 
not overly pro diet, not overly anti diet, but just more where is that individual at, and how do you find a way to like interview or you know motivationally interview that person to get the best out of them so that they can get the best for themselves long after when their life. Elliot, the, the the life with Elliot, the life with Paul chapter of our clients' life is tiny compared to the life without, and setting them up for even just a more educated thought process is putting them in an infinitely better position than to just blindly lead them onto a 12-week diet, ultimately. How good was that? I was constantly nodding throughout that past episode, which brings me on to another special human being, David Ganderman. There's only one David Ganderman. The guy is a living legend. Not only did I learn a ton from David in this episode, I laughed continuously throughout. David speaks a lot about leaning into your intuition. And because it's a topic that I'm really curious about, and I'm trying to work on this in my own life, it landed incredibly well with me. And here's what he had to say about how we can start tapping into our intuitive selves just that little bit more. Yeah, I think if you, and first of all, if you analyze your way through life, you're going to be miserable. I don't think some of the questions, like the deep questions in life, you can find the answers to in your analyzer. So when I watch like, you know, a podcast like Lex Friedman, where he interviews mostly scientists, they're, they have amazing insights into life. But those insights wouldn't translate necessarily into, is this my life partner? Who should I be when I grow up? What's life about? Who am I? Those are questions that you need an intuitive feel and you need to learn how to go inwards to find. So um, the tools that were taught in school, the intellectual tools that work so well to become engineers and, and teachers and business people, whatever it is, they don't work when it comes to making some of these big life decisions and understanding ourselves spiritually. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people hit a wall or hit a lot of confusion and get stuck. And even in, you know, I mean, psychology is a very intellectual or can be a very intellectual endeavor, endeavor but it it's super helpful. But I've had also, I've had many psychologists and therapists as clients, students of mine who also get trapped in that intellect and can't seem to find their answers. So I think going inwards and using your intuition is as much a science as it is an art. There is a structure to it. There are tools you can learn. There's definitely a science to it. And uh, it's also an art. Uh, You got to be fluid and flexible and open and counterintuitive in the sense that the less you do and the more you could sit still, the more you kind of awaken to. So the rest of the world, the more I do, the more I get, the more I understand, the more I think, the more answers. In this realm, it's almost like inverse. It's like the more I sit still and accept, the more in me awakens and that intuition starts to rise to the surface. So when someone's like, David, what can I do to develop that intuition? First step is stop doing things. It's just chill the F out for a minute and meditate. And then there's some tools that we can start to learn when you quiet down to actually sharpen that intuition. And so part of that is feeling energy. Part of it maybe is seeing images in our mind's eye or seeing energy. Part of it may be hearing our inner voice. Part of it may be a knowingness. So just to give you a couple examples, someone says, I want to learn to 
develop my intuition so I could have the wild ride David had, <laughs> which I wouldn't recommend. It might not be your ride. So I'm going to listen to my inner voice. And they close their eyes and all they hear is their dad, you know, criticizing them or their mother being worried or their ex telling them they suck or their ex-boss, whatever. And they're like, I don't hear an inner voice. I just hear a bunch of people criticizing me or a bunch of mental noise. Great. That's where we start. We got to reconcile those voices and find out who you really are and your own inner voice, which is probably quieter and, and more gentle. Or, you know, I can't see the blueprint to my life. I can't see the image of who I want to be or what I want to create. When I close my eyes, I see all these other images from other people. All right. Well, your ability to see is probably an atrophy because everyone just gives you images from your phone, your TV, your computer. We're given images all day and night. It's a, an epidemic of image giving, <laughs> right? And the people who give the best images make the most money. So here's the Avengers. Here's two hours of images. I get billions of dollars. You, you spent two hours of your life receiving images and all right, now go be a superhero. Oh wait, you don't have powers. <laughs> so uh, the image creators in our society are now becoming the ones that do the best right? YouTubers, film creators, how inspirational speakers, whatever it is, writers, you're creating these images for people. So what is it like to start creating images for yourself and seeing images for yourself? That's a great way to develop your intuitive abilities. To, and, and that takes a lot of work. You may have to sit in hours of meditation and therapy and coaching and healing and take all the images people gave you about who if they think you are who you're supposed to be, you might have to release those images and then allow the real ones to arise. And then maybe you'll have some clarity, right? Some people from a very early age, they have a one super clear image and it hovers around them for years. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, since he was like a kid, he always says he had this image of being a bodybuilder, right? Like very clear image that he was going to be the world's champion of bodybuilding. I think, he, I don't remember the age, you, you're into this work. So maybe, you know, it was like eight or nine years old, he had that image. Uh, and there are people like that. Their image is so clear and no one can stop it. And it comes true. And, but most of us, we're just not Arnold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I've Unfortunately. seen your shirt off, you're getting close. Uh, if you look at Elliot's Instagram, <laughs> you won't find any shirtless pictures on my Instagram, but, um, unless you want to see what it looks like when someone doesn't eat for a couple of years, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a little thin, I'm a little thin. So what maybe even as you're listening to this, like if there was one overarching image that you're looking to create in your life and you let it like arise in your mind's eye and maybe you dust it off and you, you know, if it's too close or too far away, you put it right in the right zone so you could see it and, and turn the light on. Like what, what would that image be? And can you let go of the invalidation or the fear around embracing that image and having the self-worth to create it? I think that's no matter what you're doing in life in some way, it's probably your life path is to find what that image is and birth it into form. So um, for me, one of those images was always writing books and that started birthing into form. Um, for me, it was, you know, teaching. So um, it's not like, no, we may not have just one. We may have two or three or five or may have one really big one. You know, some people it might be to have kids or to meet the right partner. You want to embrace whatever it is. And the more you embrace it, the more likely you're going to manifest that image into form. So damn 
good. And speaking of so damn good, we have another resident of Colorado, funnily enough. And in episode 111, I spoke with Caroline Offenstein. Towards the end of the episode, we spoke about a really fascinating yet not frequently discussed topic, which was on the note of masculine and feminine energy. Contrary to the current popular narrative of people saying that we shouldn't necessarily be defining traits of ourselves as masculine and feminine and the rise of gender neutrality, on the other hand, Caroline is deciding to embrace her feminine energy and she's going to share in this next segment the benefits it's having on her life and the impact it's having on her relationship too. Great question because you're so right. We're very much going back to like that shift we kind of talked about. This is a part of that that I feel like I'm starting to see is people don't want to live just in their masculine energy. They want to invite more of that creativeness, that fluidity, that trust and, and just to clarify too, when we're talking about these energies, it has nothing to do with gender, right? Like I, I am a female, I identify as female, but I have lived most of my life in my masculine energy. So people, everyone is a mix of both, no matter what your gender is, but usually we express more than the other. And that's where you kind of feel these imbalances within yourself. Or a good way to think of it is if something feels like really, really hard, there's probably you're a little bit in one or the other, probably your masculine for a lot of us. <laughs> so as far as you asked, like how, how did I kind of notice that or dip into that? I noticed it feels really good <laughs> when I invite more of my feminine in. Like to be totally honest, it feels good. It feels easier. Like achieving is fun. Competing in things is fun. But man, does it feel good to like take a big sigh and let your shoulders release a little bit. You know, it just feels good. And that's kind of what signified to me, okay, I need to invite more of this being versus doing energy into my life. So that was just kind of, I guess, how I naturally maybe picked up on it. And since then have made it a, a focus of mine to really, again, start with that awareness. Okay, where am I? Where do I feel like I'm totally in 110% doing mode? Because doing is very masculine, being is more feminine. And I really try to notice that now and be like, okay, wow, I'm exerting so much effort. I am like a good indicator for me is at the end of a day, if I'm just totally wiped out, like, wow, I was kind of, I was maybe forcing it today. I was maybe exerting a lot of effort. I wonder if there were more times where I could throw in a creative activity, for example. That's a tool that I really like. And a lot of people, we don't release our creativity that much unless we're totally in the arts. But even just doing something random like mm -hmm. knitting, drawing, reading a poem, writing in your journal and not having a or journal. Or in your box. case, dancing. Yes, dancing. That's another tool that, <laughs> oh my gosh, that has opened my eyes to so much because I really got into pole dance when I decided to take this big break from bodybuilding and just focus on health. I was really nervous about how I was going to see my body change and go from being totally super shredded, like basically eight pack <laughs> to being a natural, healthy cycling female, which was important to me. And that's really why I started pole dance because I wanted that like body positivity. I wanted to feel like sexy despite my body becoming less lean and totally fell in love with it. I'm having so much fun. It is way more of a strength challenge than I thought. You know, I'll, I'll deadlift and back squat with someone all day, but uh, holding yourself upside down on a pole 
and using that shoulder stabilization and those tiny muscles and your core in a totally different way is surprisingly very, very difficult. <laughs> they make it look easy. It looks difficult. Well, no, Does I it? think it looks I probably make it look difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, that's been really fun and a good mix of like, you know, some of the classes I go to are very like sexual and sensual. Some other classes I go to are very strength and skill oriented. So it's been fun for me to also experiment with that. And I feel like that has done a lot for me in bringing out my feminine energy, like dance, dance is a great tool and it doesn't have to be a dance class. It can be, you know, if someone else is listening, then they feel really stuck in their masculine, put on Put on whatever song you like to move to and just kind of let your body flow. Like that is a great way. You're literally moving energy throughout your body when you're moving like that. And usually kind of expressing in a, in a more feminine matter because it's pretty creative too. So that's... Oh, dance has like totally changed my life this past year. And it's so funny because I was definitely never a dancer. I don't think I still am, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel like I know the answer to this question already, but I'm intrigued to actually know the insights. You mentioned that it feels good and that's one of the main benefits. How has it benefited your relationship with your partner? That, oh my gosh, <laughs> putting me on the spot here. That is something I'm definitely still working on because I have noticed that. My husband is very... He was like an enlightened five-year-old. Like the stories he tells me about his childhood and being like, <laughs> oh, well, I saw someone be really stressed out and angry. And so from that moment on, I decided I'm not going to get like that. I'm like, you were five. Are you kidding me? Like he has this, these are his legit childhood stories. It's crazy. So he, that's a hell of an insight of five. I know. I mean, it might not have been five. It might've been like eight, but it was like real young bottom line. So I, I feel like if you want to get really out there, like I feel like his soul is more evolved than my soul. If you believe in like reincarnation and all of that stuff. And so he is naturally more in his feminine energy, honestly, and I'm more in my masculine. So I notice that when I... It kind of makes it harder, unfortunately, because you energetically, we want that balance. So if I'm in my masculine, he's going to stay in his more feminine, right? But I don't really like that. <laughs> if you want to get sexual with it, like I'd rather be in the bedroom in my feminine receiving energy and have him in his masculine energy. And it definitely takes like practice though. Like I, especially at the end of the day, when we're actually like hanging out together, I really have to try and focus like, okay, how can I, how can I really let go of my doing my CEO mode, my boss mode? How can I leave that with my laptop in my office and come into this other energy to now like be a partner for the rest of the day. And when I can do that, which, oh my gosh, I'm very much a work in progress <laughs> right in this. But the more that I do that, he does come into his masculine a little bit more. So I think this is very much applicable to relationships. And it's like I said, it's definitely something, oh my gosh, if anyone has a great like relationship expert on energies, send them my way because I'll take it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that'd be an amazing conversation to bring on an expert who understands that. I think that'd be really good to ask them questions. So I'm going to start hunting. So if you find one, let me know. Yes. We'll both do podcasts yes. and we can do uh, understand more on that. <laughs> yes, we should. We should get some couples in the room yeah, as well. Oh my God. <laughs> not me. I do not volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's fascinating. I, I had a feeling that there would either be and a good alignment in terms of, you know, your husband was already leaning into his masculine and then it, you know, it was something that was just 
it, it almost connected very nicely or it was going to be the opposite where, like you said, he was already in his feminine because what I find is that most of us, and I can, I've had this experience myself as well, go to the one that either feels easiest or where we can find our way in. So let's say you start a relationship, you're already in the high achiever, you're making more money than potentially your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, the, the genders are irrelevant. The other person is going to be like, oh, okay, well, they've got that side of it covered. I'm going to just slip in here because of this is where I'm going to be a little bit more useful. But actually what you might realize later on is that actually I want, I don't want to be this achieving. I don't want to be the one working all day, bringing in the money or, you know, having to lean into my masculine energy. It doesn't matter what those practices look like, but yeah. And then you have that realization where you truly want and that actually requires an energetic shift to take place. Otherwise you'll probably just lean into which ones you fit in both. But eventually I find again, in my experience, People, you start resenting your roles, even though you chose them because of you saw them, but they were primarily based on convenience and not leaning into what you truly wanted, right? Yep. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's, I think you kind of touched on too, like the shifts that can happen. It's natural for you as an individual to shift your own energy as you go, kind of like what I was first talking about. But then in relationships, I think that's really important to note too, because you just made me think back on, you know, my partner and I, we met raft guiding. Like I said, he was my boss. <laughs> and so he was it's funny because when we met and I was like, they call it you a rookie when you're new. So I was a rookie. He was very, very experienced raft guide. So our roles were opposite then, which I don't know if I've ever really called yes. that out, but like, yeah, six years ago, we were in opposite roles. And but isn't that marriage, right? You just got to like evolve with each other, I guess. I don't know. I'm figuring it out as we go. <laughs> and on to the final highlight of the year that comes from Ed Pimley all the way in Canada in our recent holiday episode. But this part of the episode where we discussed remembering your why is incredibly universal and doesn't necessarily just need to be applied to this time of year, but realistically any time of the year, especially when you might be a little bit out of touch with the initial reasons you started a journey. And here's what we had to say during that discussion. For me, this is a big one and something that I want to get everyone to start thinking about. It's like, remember why you started this. If you started this like fat loss journey or even like a muscle building journey or whatever it is, like remember why you did that. Because having that memory and that thought process going into certain like more social occasions is going to make it a lot easier to be the person that you want to become, right? Because you started this because, all right, I want to lose 20, 30, 40 pounds or kilograms or whatever. Coming into that month, if you keep reminding yourself of that one goal, you know exactly why you're doing this and why you're maybe not having that 13th glass of wine or not eating that last piece of the Yule log or whatever it is that you're kind of like setting yourself up for. It's that memory of like, all right, this is why I started. This is why I'm doing it. This is what I want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. I think if there's any time to remind yourself of this more than ever, it's going to be now, you know? And I think that a lot of people will try and start certain journeys and wipe their social calendar clean. But I'm like, it's not real life. You know, the people who got results during COVID, amazing. But guess what? They're having to learn how to navigate real life right now. And I actually think it's even better if you've got a support of a coach right now as well, and you're navigating your first ever Christmas period, like 
this is a beautiful time to really practice what you want to do for years to come. And, you know, what's great is that if you are maybe in a bit of a more dedicated fat loss phase, then if you are choosing to be a little bit more disciplined than you potentially would be in the future, like if you go to that end of the pendulum, when you come back to being a little bit more relaxed in the future, it's going to be a lot easier. But this is a really good opportunity to to really like remind yourself of this on a day-to-day basis and realize that if you do want long-term results and if you do want to sustain a healthier and fitter lifestyle, then you need to learn how to manage these periods. You can't just go off the radar and come back in January. It's not sustainable. You can't do that. Every You can't run away from this situation. Just learn how to navigate these situations. Get the help of someone. Listen to podcasts like this. Like we've given you nine practical tips that you can literally, you can probably implement every single one of them, right? And you know, you're going to get a tenth in a minute as well. And you know, it's only going to start if you A, remember why you're doing it. So you've got motivation to actually do it. And then the next step is application and implementation and learning. Yeah. And that's, that's the big thing too, right? Like if you're taking this month as like a learning tool, it's going to be, you're going to come out of it in a whole different sort of mindset in that regard. Like if you're thinking like, all right, so I'm going to set myself this plan, come this event and then come into it. Maybe it didn't work out perfectly. Maybe things didn't flow the way you wanted it to. I mean, like we've got a, we've got a saying that we use a lot over here and it's like even Cinderella's shoe came off right? Like that glass slipper was supposed to fit perfectly and she still slipped off her foot, right? Like it's going to happen. So it's like, how, how do you come out of that? Did you learn from it or did you just bury your head in the sand and start to punish yourself because of it? It's like, if you can fix that mindset and start thinking, all right, why did I, why did I slip up? Why did I do this? All right, this is what I'm going to implement next time. You're going to be in a whole different set. Dude, I love that saying. I'm definitely going to use that moving forward. I've never heard of it before, but I like it a lot. But I know it's so true. And I think that a lot of the time people will think that, okay, I don't need to use these tools because I've got something in place. But I was having a conversation with someone last week and I was like, you know, if your hydration has slipped off, there is nothing wrong with starting to reset reminders on your phone like you did in the initial stages to remind yourself to do it. So if you need to, and you got to remember the deeper you get into the journey, the less kind of motiv- initially motivated you are, the less front of mind your why is. Like half the time I get people to, well, hundred percent of the time I get people to put their why down on their application form when they get started. Half the time you remind them what they said six months in. They're like, I barely remember even saying that, right? Because there's a different level of like motivation and incentive at the time. If you can take them back to there, they can reconnect with that feeling. They can feel a little bit of that and they carry that into these occasions. And you've got a much bigger chance of success than you had if you just didn't even think about it. A hundred percent. Plus that why is going to change and transform over years and days and months, right? Like I remember back when I was before we had Monty, like my goal was definitely not my training. Why was not what it is now. Like why I train now is to be able to show him like the importance behind being physically fit and physically active and how that transcends into other areas of your life. Right. And it's like, that wasn't my why back when I was 32. <laughs> <laughs> that was just to have abs and look good on the beach, right? <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, I would take my shirt off and not have someone shoot me without like, <laughs> No, that was, that was the same as me. Like mine started very aesthetic. It transformed to wanting to compete and do well in that. Then it wanted to, then it transformed to, yeah, wanted to be bigger, wanted to be stronger. And now these days it's like, A, to set an example for the people that I lead and then B, to make sure that I feel my best. You know, if I, if I don't show up my best, then I 
can't show up my best for everyone else. So, you know, and I also know what the feeling of like of not feeling good is. And that's enough. Like I always think you need a driver that moves you away from what you were or what you don't want to be and a driver that moves you towards what you want to be or what you could be. And if you've got both of those, like I feel like when you're incentivized, when you're already motivated, you can run towards what you want to be. But during the times where things get tough, that's the time to use like, who do I not want to be? You know, where do I not want to go back to? I don't feel like you should always be incentivized by fear, but on the times where you're not feeling that motivated, you know, go back to how you felt when you started. It wasn't a good feeling. And, you know, that'll be enough to get a bit of a kick up the butt to get going again. The thing is we always forget, like we've got clients that we trained like a long time ago that lost a lot of weight. And my memories of them from when we started, they're not that same person in terms of how they look. I remember them where, the way they are now. And it's like, if you can remind yourself of how you felt back then, because you're going to forget it too. You're going to look at pictures and be like, Oh shit. <laughs> wow. I forgot that I look like that. Right. And it's like, if you can remind yourself how you felt, how like, clothes felt going onto your body, it's going to be a very different setting when you start to remind yourself of how you feel now too. So that wraps up 12 huge tips from 12 of the experts that I spoke with over the past year. And if we do the 2022 version of this, I'm certain I'm going to have like 30 plus tips to go through based on all the incredible guests that we've got lined up this year. So thank you for listening team. I'm wishing you the very best for 2022. And I absolutely can't wait to deliver more and more value to you all in the months ahead. Take care. I'll look forward to speaking with you tomorrow. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.